Welcome to Under Your Influence, a podcast series produced by Impact Teen Drivers in partnership with the National Road Safety Foundation. Parents and guardians are the number one influencers of teens' attitudes and behaviors in a car. With true stories and helpful tips, we are empowering parents and teen influencers to help stop the number one killer of teens in America, car crashes, especially those caused by reckless and distracted driving. Thanks for joining us for today's Under Your Influence podcast, episode four, What Has Your Teen Learned From You? My name is Dr. Kelly Browning, and I'm the proud executive director for Impact Teen Drivers, an organization dedicated to stopping the number one killer of teens. So what are some things your teen has learned from you? Well, we opened our phone lines, and here are some of the things parents said. Hello. Please leave your message after the tone. I taught my kids their best dance moves. So it took quite a lot of effort, but I taught my teen how to do the dishes and put them away after. Hey, ride a bike, of course. Training wheels first, all the way up to a mountain bike. I've taught all of my kids and now my grandkids to make our family's apple pie recipe that has been passed down for generations. I taught my daughter how to skateboard. She still skateboards today. Yeah, we all know that our kids learned a lot from us, but it might surprise you to know your child has been watching and listening to everything you say and do in a car since they were forward facing in the car seat. Now, if you're a conscientious defensive driver, congratulations. Your child has likely learned some great driving habits from you. On the other hand, if you tend to tailgate, not use your turn signals, or give people the one-fingered wave when they cut you off, we can't be surprised when our kids choose to do the same behaviors. I mean, if we're treating the inside of our vehicle like our office and returning our important calls, can we wonder why our kids think returning a text behind the wheel just isn't a problem? And as we learned from our previous episodes, parents, we are the number one influencer of our teens' driving attitudes and behaviors. So pause for just a second. Think about all the things your child has watched you do behind the wheel for the first 15 years of their life. Yeah, it might be a bit overwhelming and maybe even a little embarrassing, but I've got good news. It's about today forward. You can choose to be the driver you want your child to be. I have a very special friend that taught me a lot when I had the privilege of meeting his family. I only wish I'd met his family under different circumstances. I'd like to introduce you to Brock. My name is Brock Dietrich and I'm Sydney's father. Thank you, Brock. Can you share a little bit about what type of person Sydney was? Yeah, to, to really understand Sydney, you need to understand her background. Uh, we adopted Sydney when she was 14, but we've known her all of our lives. Um, her birth mom struggled with addiction, and we provided that stability and to her unstable home environment that she was in. Sydney's birth mom eventually agreed that it would be better for Sydney to be part of our family. So we went through the process of formally adopting her when she was 14. Sydney wasn't shy about her journey, because to her, this was just part of who she was. Sydney was enrolled in a cosmetology program, and her dreams was to open her own salon one day. What words would you use to describe Sydney Brock? There's probably three words that come to mind. Transparency, compassion, and fearlessness. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by compassion. 
Cindy was always that compassionate person to her friends, anybody that she met. Um, she was the ear or the shoulder that they could lean on whenever they had problems. Uh, Cindy was very understanding, realized that everybody had different backgrounds and different struggles. And so she was always had two ears and one mouth, you know, the, the, as the saying goes, you listen twice as much as you speak. That was Sydney. She was always there for her friends, listening, providing just that right piece of advice that they needed to get through their struggles. Tell me, do you remember when Sydney was trying to learn to drive and did you have any concerns or worries? Were you excited? Do you remember how you felt? Yeah, honestly, I wasn't that concerned when she was learning to drive. She was a good kid. We ran a very structured household that had clear rules. And so I didn't really feel like that she was going to have a, a struggle driving. Yeah, I think that most parents, um, most of us do believe that, well, we know our kids are good kids. And I think what we, we don't always realize that even good kids make mistakes sometimes and behind the wheel is a challenging place to do that. Was Sydney excited to drive? Was she nervous to drive? I would say she was pretty excited. Um, this was a freedom that she really didn't have before. So she was very excited to drive. Uh, did you have any type of discussion with Sydney as she was beginning to drive or any rules, household rules, anything like that you can share with us? Yeah, I was the primary uh, person that was responsible for teaching Sydney to drive. And, and we communicated our expectations to Sydney, you know, following the GDL laws regarding passenger restrictions, wearing your seatbelt, not texting while driving. So we had a pretty strict set of rules that we felt at the time were going to help keep Sydney safe on the road. Brock, talk to me about the day of the crash. Did it start out like any other day? What, what was that day like? And then talk me into what happened in the crash. Yeah, it was a Friday in late October. Um, it was a normal school day and Sydney had come home from school that day and she was going to spend the night at her best friend Vicky's house. Uh, and this was not unusual. Her and Vicky were super tight and they did almost everything together. Um, they decided that they were going to go to a pumpkin farm to carve some pumpkins. Um, and so they, along the way, they picked up their friend Joe to go with them. You know, Sydney was almost 18 at the time, and so it was legal for her to have multiple passengers under Ohio's GDL law. Uh, the pumpkin farm that they went to was extremely busy that day, and so they abandoned that plan and were headed back home at the time. It was early evening, and they were headed back on a highway. Um, it was a dry, flat, and straight um, section of the highway, and it was still light out, so it was near-perfect road conditions. Um, typically, Vicki was Sydney's co-pilot when they drove together, uh, but that night, Joe was in the passenger seat and Vicki was in the back seat. Um, Joe, at the time, was texting his mom to let her know that they were headed back, and he felt the car jerk. Uh, he told us that he looked up and he saw Sydney had her phone in her hand. They were on a divided highway, which has a grassy median in the middle. Um, Joe said he felt the car leave the paved roadway. Um, not having been in that situation before, Cindy tried to bring the car back onto the pavement, but instead of slowing the car down and slowly bringing it back onto the road, she ended up losing control of the vehicle and veering deeper into the grassy median. Um, given the, the speed that they were traveling, when the car hit the bottom of the median, it ended up flipping violently across two oncoming lanes of traffic. 
the car finally came to a rest on the other side of the highway. Um, Joe said he looked over and saw that Sydney was no longer in the car. He would later tell us that she had been wearing her seatbelt earlier that night, but just have, must have forgotten to put it on the last time that she got in the car. Um, Joe, who was physically uninjured in the crash, unbuckled his seatbelt and ran around the other side of the car looking for Sydney. Um, he unfortunately found her unconscious in the ditch. Um, when she, Sydney was ejected from the vehicle, she suffered a fatal head injury that ultimately led to her death a few days later in the hospital. Vicki, who was the backseat passenger, had put the shoulder harness behind her back so she could rest her head. She ended up suffering a traumatic brain injury, broke her arm, her back, and her neck, and had to be extracted from the car with the jaws of life. There were three passengers in the vehicle that night, and they all had vastly different outcomes based on how they wore their seatbelt. What was Joe doing at the time of the crash? So he indicated that he was texting his mom. They were on their way back, and he wanted to let her know uh, that they were coming back from the pumpkin farm. And so he was texting his mom, um, you know, a good kid. All three of these kids in the vehicle were good kids. Was Sydney driving above the speed limit? Uh, what we've heard from the police report is that she was following all the traffic laws, driving the speed limit. Um, every, all the reports from the witnesses said that she was driving at the appropriate speed. Where were you when you found out that Sydney had been in a crash? How did you find out? My wife and I and our other two kids had gone out to dinner. And so um, when we came home, there was a voicemail, uh, actually two voicemails. Uh, the first one was the highway patrol asking us to call. And my first instinct was, what did Sydney do? Did she get a speeding ticket? What, what happened? But then the next voicemail was the hospital. And I didn't even know what to think. Um, I called the hospital um, and they said, Sydney was at our OSU hospital and Vicki was at Grant Riverside Hospital. When I heard that, my heart sank because I knew that Grant was a trauma one center. And immediately my thought was that Vicki had been severely injured in a crash. And how would Sydney go on with life but if she potentially lost her best friend? Little did I know when we got to OSU hospital, it was Sydney that was in the worst shape and that Sydney was the one who would lose her life from that crash. So what factors do you believe caused Sydney's crash that day? From what we heard with, from Joe, Sydney had her phone in her hand. And I believe that Sydney must have been distracted by her phone at the time, leading to the car veering off the paved road. How has Sydney's death impacted your family, Brock? Sydney's death left a hole in our family because she was part of our everyday life. You know, I'll periodically reflect on what we'd be doing if Sydney were still here, especially around major holidays, birthdays. Quite frankly, it's unrecognizable of what our life would be like compared to our life right now. Her death has forever changed the tra trajectory of our lives. You know, it's hard to even imagine how her empathy would have impacted the struggles that our other kids face. You know, having a big sister to guide them through an adolescence that is nothing like what I can relate to growing up. Prior to Sydney's crash, had you thought about how your own driving attitudes or behaviors might impact your children's attitudes and behaviors behind the wheel? 
a straight line I can draw between Sydney's crash and my behavior was the fact that I would allow my phone to distract me while driving. You know, at the time I thought just using my phone at a stoplight or when traffic was light was safe. But now I see that Sydney saw that behavior and likely applied it to her own driving. You know, we all know that do as I say, not as I do doesn't work. So looking back, I find it ridiculous that I thought telling Sydney not to text and drive would prevent her from using her phone while driving when I was doing the exact same thing myself. I think that's really, really important in what you're sharing, because I don't think most of us as parents, and we all know do as I say, not as I do doesn't work, but we don't always think about how that applies behind the wheel. And I think, you know, obviously in the case of losing Sydney, that's the extreme case. So one of the goals for today, I'm guessing, and your choice to share is to what? What do you want to do for other families? As I reflected on what I could have done differently, there are really four key takeaways I would like parents to learn from my mistakes. The first one I had already mentioned, which is to role model the behaviors you want your teen to exhibit while driving. The second is not just teach your kids the rules for driving, such as buckling up, eliminating distractions, limiting the number of passengers, but to also teach them why these are important. The third is to not only follow the GDL laws of your state, but really examine them to set potentially more restrictive rules for your household. You know, as a parent, I assume that the folks who knew more than me about teen driving crafted the GDL system to deliver the right driver training for my child. You know, however, what I've really learned since then is that GDL is really the lowest hanging fruit type of rules. You know, along those lines, the fourth takeaway for parents is that the GDL required supervised driving hours are just not enough. You know, in Ohio, teens only need 50 hours of supervised driving with 10 being at night to get their provisional license. You know, a mistake we made was viewing Sydney getting her independent driver's license as a lifting a burden on us as parents. You know, once Sydney could drive on her own, we would send her out on errands alone. However, what I've learned since that time is that there are hundreds of driving situations that we've encountered over 30 years of driving and just take for granted on how to handle. But as a newly licensed driver, they don't know how to handle these situations when they occur, such as leaving your vehicle, leaving the paved highway, how to get back on safely. So the message is to keep driving with your teen after they've received their provisional license. And I'll throw in a bonus fifth take here as well, which is don't delay getting your teen their learner's permit. There is no time limit on when teen drivers need to take the road test to get their provisional license to drive independently. So the reasons teens crash at a higher rate than adults is inexperience, not age. So get your teen driver as much practice as possible behind the wheel with you in the passenger seat, both their learner's permit phase and their provisional license phase. Thanks, Brox. That, that's really good information for those of us as parents. And if we're trying to get our kids driving, it's good to know that even though there may be some concern or fear about our kids starting to drive, that it's really, really important that they choose to start that process Why you as an parent can still supervise and control the keys. So that's really helpful. Brock, you mentioned you have um, two younger kids. Um, I'm guessing that with the loss of Sydney and your, your family's experience, that's probably changed a lot of the way you think about teaching them to drive. How are you going to approach teaching them to drive? 
One thing we started doing immediately after Sydney's crash was to make a big show of executing our pre-driving checklist. Our other two kids were in elementary age at the time, so we made a game of racing to get your seatbelt on and overemphasized putting away distractions before driving. As our kids got into middle school, we emphasized speaking up when the kids saw unsafe behavior, you know, identifying unsafe behavior both inside and outside of our vehicle. You know, the key at that stage was really to make sure that we rewarded speaking up by acknowledging the unsafe behavior, immediately making corrections, and then talking about how we can plan to prevent it from reoccurring. You know, as they moved into high school, the focus has been on developing their plan for driving. You know, focusing on the key, three key things of buckling up, eliminating distractions, and speaking up. Frank, if you could go back in time and tell Sydney something before she got in the car that afternoon, what would you tell her? First, I would tell her that I love her. You know, it's so important to make sure that you say it to your kids as often as possible. You know, even if they act like they don't like it. You know, second, I would tell her to make sure she executed a pre-drive checklist before putting the car in drive. You know, I truly believe that Sydney's lack of a seatbelt that night was an oversight. And if she would have just taken a minute to run through that checklist, she would be here today. Brock, it sounds like with what you've shared with us today, that Sydney's crash was caused by the distraction of her phone in some way but Sydney lost her life that day because she chose not to wear her seatbelt. Would that be an accurate statement? That's absolutely true. Um, you know, her crash was because of her distraction from her phone, but the loss of life was exactly because she didn't have her seatbelt on. And so it was the, the merge of those two events. If any one of those things would have been different, she would be with us here today. And so that's why it's so important that every time you get in a vehicle, you follow that checklist. You make sure every single person in that car is buckled up. And we saw it in her crash. There were three very different outcomes, all based on the way each passenger wore their seatbelt. Yeah, and, and we know that um, even if the crash isn't your fault, if you're not distracted and somebody hits you, we know that seatbelt is your first line of defense in any crash, so it's critical. One of the things I want to talk a little bit about, and you mentioned it in your checklist, and that was speaking up. And I think this is something that um, is really, really hard for young people. You know, we're really good as parents of just saying, just speak up if you don't feel safe. What advice do you have? What, how do you talk to your kid about the importance of speaking up if they feel unsafe? What would you say? What would you suggest that we do? Yeah. So I think for parents, when you have elementary age school kids, they're not afraid to speak up. It's when you start getting into that middle age years that now you start having this stigma and people are worried about what other people are thinking. And so it's really important when you start getting into those middle school years to really focus on why. You know, with everything I've talked about, it's really important to not only explain what you want people to do, but why you want them to do it. And so you need to get them to buy into why it's so important for them to speak up in the car. So if they are safe, why does speaking up matter so much? And so I think some of the things that are really valuable to help with that is looking at some of the personal stories that are available on impactteendrivers.org. So those stories really help communicate in a way to express to your kids the importance of one small decision, one opportunity to speak up could have completely changed that situation. Obviously, in our family household, 
our kids understand that completely because we've experienced that firsthand with Sydney. I remember when my son was in middle school and he, you know, got involved in our program a little bit. And so one of the things we talked about, like you said, the checklist is letting him speak up. But I remember one time distinctly when he, I sneezed and it was not one of those attractive sneezes. It was one of those really unattractive sneezes while I was driving. And he's like, that's distracted driving. And my first reaction as a parent was actually to, unfortunately, to kind of jump down his throat, like, no, it's not, it wasn't intentional and almost excuse it. And yeah, I think I recovered from that. I hope it's probably not my proudest parenting moment, but I think what we, what I'm hearing you say is as, as parents, we need to be more comfortable encouraging our kids, not just role modeling ourselves, but also encouraging our kids to identify behaviors that maybe because of our experience, we don't see when we're reaching back to grab the water bottle or something as distracted driving. I'm thinking about how many times as parents, and we might be on a family road trip somewhere and our, our car kind of becomes our kitchen and, you know, we're eating, driving, that kind of thing, or even our bedroom where people are sleeping in the car. And maybe that's something that we should think about a little bit different as parents. Would, would that be something you might consider? There are often times when we are driving from one event to another event, and I know very many parents out there today are very busy. Kids are very overscheduled, and so parents are supporting those schedules and driving from one event to another, and so squeezing in meals is very difficult. And so it becomes really important as a parent to be cognizant of the fact that you can't be driving, and that is distracting. And so take a minute pull over in the parking lot, even if you're hitting the drive-through, pull over, eat your food, and then get back on the road. It's so important to 100% of the time show that that is how you eat in a car, is in the parking space, not on the road. Yeah, and, and I'm taking that one step further and I'm, as you're talking and I'm thinking even when I put on chapstick or something and I'm driving and I think this is a harmless activity, what I'm really teaching my kid is not the right behaviors, it's really understanding why you have that as a rule and rather than just saying, well, the rule is we don't do that because again, it comes back to the not as I, you know, do as I say, not as I do. It's the same thing. If you don't explain the why, then the kids are just not going to follow those, those practices. Yeah. You know, I think this is just really, really important stuff. I don't think, I think you're right. As parents, we don't often, we, we do it when our kids are young, explain the why, you know, why you don't want to touch the hot stove. We'll explain why that is, but we don't often explain the why in something as simple as how a moment of inattention can change your life forever. Why have you and your family chosen to share the worst thing that's ever happened to you guys with all of us? Because car crashes are 100% preventable. There are a few simple things that parents and teens can do to save lives. And I feel that I have valuable information that could save someone else's life. You know, if somebody would have shared this information with me, I believe Sydney would be alive today. And that's spot on. You don't know what you don't know as a parent sometimes. And you choosing to share this with all the rest of us allows us an opportunity to go out there and learn more about it. So if I'm a parent that's interested in, in knowing more, are there any suggestions? Are there, are there books? What, would I, what should I do? I would start with the organization that you and I are in, engaged with, which is Impact Teen Drivers. Uh, ImpactTeenDrivers.org is the website. And one of the new features that I really love about the website is the ability to search by state. 
And so you can really see by state what the GDL laws are for your state. So you can get very specific information depending on where you live. Uh, and then there's a wealth of resources. Um, one of the things I think that communicates most effectively to teens and parents is video. And so there are a number of video stories about personal experiences. You know, my family is not the only family that's been through this. There unfortunately are too many families that have been in the same shoes that I'm in. And so it's really important to find those stories that connect with your teen. You know, there's all kinds of different um, families, unfortunately, that have had similar situations make sure that they understand why it's important to do those things. And I think those videos will help sell that message and really help your teens understand the importance of the why. Brock, I just genuinely want to thank you as a parent, um, as an educator, for making the choice to turn this tragedy into a teachable moment for the rest of us. Of course, we all wish it would have been soon enough and before we lost Sydney, but your family's choice, the strength that your, fam strength that your family shows by sharing this story is just so admired and appreciated. Um, so thank you truly from all of us for your choice to share. Sydney's loss was a loss for all of us. Let's ensure Brock's choice to share the worst thing that has ever happened to him and his family be a reminder for all of us as parents to take a moment, look in the mirror, and decide, do we need to change some of our own habits and behaviors behind the wheel? I wanna check in with Public Information Officer Kriya from the California Highway Patrol. Officer Kriya, can you offer any thoughts on how each of us should take a measure of really our own personal accountability when it comes to our driving habits? Yeah, Kelly. Sydney's story is a tragic and painful reminder for all of us as parents that our choices behind the wheel can either help keep our kids safe or provide them with ideas for unsafe driving behaviors. I know Brock never thought his choice to send a quick text or make a call behind the wheel would ever lead his daughter to think it was okay to check her phone that day while she was driving with two friends after school to a pumpkin patch. As a father, I'm not perfect. I'll be honest. And I'm sure I have not always made the best decisions behind the wheel when my kids are in the car. We have probably all done things we wish we could take back. After hearing Brock share Sydney's story, I can't help but think about my kids and replay choices that I've made behind the wheel when they're in the car with me. However, our goal isn't to blame or shame ourselves as parents. It truly is about revisiting our own habits. And as we mentioned earlier, thinking about how today forward, we can choose to be the driver we want our teen to be. Parents, our role as educators and role models could prevent a poor choice behind the wheel, taking the life of someone we care about. Let's make a pact today to always ensure we are educating parents about their critical role in raising a culture of safe, young drivers. I was pretty, I was sitting here reflecting about some of the things I may have done or said when my kids were little. And I quite frankly feel lucky that my kids have made good decisions behind the wheel up to this point. What would you suggest parents do when they feel like they may not, they maybe haven't always been the best role model? Um, is it too late for us? No, no, no. Of course, it, it's never too late. In fact, the whole reason Brock has chosen to share his loss with us is so another family doesn't have to live with the pain that his family has to live with every day. 
So Officer Korea, what are some of the, the things we can do to help our team stay safe on the road? Well, always drive like you want your team to drive. Drive at a speed for the conditions and put away all your distractions. We want to raise respectful kids, right? And we should model respect for those we share our roadways with, including school buses, trucks, big rigs, motorcycles, and workers on the roadway. Yeah, so, but I have one of the new cars, you know, with all the fancy airbags, side crash, offset, this, that, the other thing. You know, is, is it really important that I still wear my seatbelt? Of course. Make sure you buckle up properly before your car moves. Seatbelts really do save lives. It's proven. Over 50% of the unbuckled people who lost their lives last year would be alive today if they had just chosen to do one thing. Buckle up. Seatbelts are the number one line of defense in any car crash. Officer Korea's parents, I think most of us always feel our kids are the good kids. They're not the problem kids. But what it sounds like this really isn't about kids making bad decisions. It's really about good kids and making one poor choice that can change their life forever. So how do we talk to our kids about, you know, feeling more confident in themselves and being willing to stand out if they need to and not follow the crowd that's doing the wrong thing. Give your kids the encouragement and empowerment that they are brave and courageous. They don't have to follow the crowd. If something is or feels wrong, whether they are the driver or the passenger in a vehicle, they should speak up. If the driver doesn't respond, then they should ask to get out of the car when it's safe to do so. Let them know that you would always rather get that call from them asking for a ride than a call from me, the officer, telling you that they will never, ever be coming home. So by adopting these simple strategies as a parent and making sure you know and follow the GDL laws, it will help keep all of us, your family, my family, and other motorists safe on the roadways. Officer Korea, I love the phrase, be the driver you want your team to be. This is a good reminder for all of us as parents. Remember, together we can stop the number one killer of young people, preventable car crashes. For additional safe driving tips and podcasts, visit impactteamdrivers.org. And most importantly, remember, your choices can save lives. Thank you for listening to Under Your Influence, Episode 4, What Your Teen Has Learned From You. We hope you feel empowered to support your teen to be safe on the road. And if this podcast helped you out, even with just one new tip or one new way to think about teen driving, consider leaving a review to help other parents find us. Thanks for joining our series, Under Your Influence, a podcast produced by Impact Teen Drivers in partnership with the National Road Safety Foundation.